Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We are in the middle of our reframe series where we're talking through the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. This was a group of young churches that Paul had established, and a group had targeted this group, this, these young Christians, these young churches. And they said, Paul's gospel is not complete. You've got to add to what Paul said. And here's what they said. You have to be circumcised. And you have to follow all the laws of Moses in order to be acceptable to God. And so they had come and they had, they had brought this message and it had thrown the whole work of the gospel into turmoil. And Paul was writing this letter to correct this false doctrine. And he wrote very upset, as a matter of fact. He wrote, I, one writer said, he wrote it hot. He wrote it angry. And this is what he said, is if anybody preaches a different gospel than I have preached to you, even if, they, even if it was me preaching that gospel, Paul said, then let that person be damned. So it's a significant error that is happening, and Paul is correcting this error. And I'm asking you to go on this journey with us on this reframe series because without meaning to, we have incorporated elements into our lives that are Jesus plus something else. When it really cannot be if you're to reach your full potential, if you're to really grow, if you're really to know the freedom you have in Christ and to live in the identity you have in Christ, it can be only Jesus plus nothing. And so we're going to look at this part of the argument that Paul is making today. Now, he's building an argument. The first argument was this. You have to receive you're a gospel identity from Jesus because if you try to achieve your identity, it will never be sustainable. You cannot perform your way into an identity as a child of God. And then he goes into the whole aspect of whether you want to live under blessing or you want to live under cursing. Because he says, if you're if your standing with God is not on the basis of what you receive through Christ, then you have to earn your standing with God on the basis of your own performance. But the problem, Paul says, with performing is it brings you under all the curses of the law if you do not fulfill all the law. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 28, it basically says this, If you don't fulfill all the law, you are cursed when you go out and you are cursed when you come in. That pretty much covers everything. But Paul is saying there is a way by receiving the favor of God, by receiving acceptance from God and a right standing with God by faith in Christ that you are blessed when you go out and you are blessed when you come in. 
And he says, the, the issue then is, do you want to be under a curse or do you want to be under blessing? And so he builds now a third argument and he begins to talk about whether or not you're living by the promise or you're, or you're living by the performance. And so here's what we're going to read is Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Would you read this out loud with me? Brothers and sisters, I give an example from daily life. Once a person's will has been ratified, no one adds to it or annuls it. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, as of many, but it says, and to your offspring, that is, to one person who is Christ. My point is this, the law which came 430 years later does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance comes from the law, it no longer comes from the promise. But God granted it to Abraham through the promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring would come to whom the promise had been made. And it was ordained through angels by a mediator. Now a mediator involves more than one party, but God is one. Is the law then opposed to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could make alive, then righteousness would indeed come through the law. But the scripture has imprisoned all things under the power of sin, so that what was promised through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So today I'd like for you to work with me through how you can understand the whole Bible. See, the, the Bible has an astonishing, almost just a wonderful coherence to it. And what Paul is showing here as he unpacks the salvation history in the book of Genesis is he's showing us that everything in the Bible fits together in what it teaches. Now, these false teachers, call them Judaizers, sometimes they're called the circumcision faction or party. These, these Judaizers, they come and they teach, you've got to have faith plus obedience, and then you will be saved, then you will be in right standing with God. But Paul says, it's faith alone in Christ, and then that faith leads to obedience. What Paul is saying here is these are two different religions. These are two completely opposite ways of understanding the Bible. And one is wrong and one is right. And the issue is that many of us fall for the perversion. 
Because there are many of us that we think we should earn something. There are many of us who think we, we need to be religious. We need to, in some way, deserve the blessings or the favor of God. And, and, and the truth is that all of us have a little bit of Pharisee in all of, in, inside of us. And what Paul is saying here is that if you have mixed the two and you have said, yeah, it's faith, but it's also baptism. Yeah, it's faith, but it's also these Christian beliefs and these Christian behaviors. Yeah, it's faith, but it's also you need to look like this and sound like this and do like this. Paul says you're in a completely different religion, and it's not Christianity. And you see, that could be true if you're a Catholic. It could be true if you're a Protestant. It could be true if you're a non-denominational. Because all of us have a tendency to earn and to want to deserve. And all of us also have a tendency to use guilt and shame to motivate ourselves. Because many of us don't realize that the real motivator of our heart is fear and pride. And religion, earning, performing, always plays on how it can manipulate your fear and your pride in order that you will behave. And Paul says, when you are in a place and you start to hear faith plus obedience, he says your spidey sense should start to tingle. (laughs) And you should begin to say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. As soon as someone says you're a Christian if, you're only a Christian when, there should something go off in your head that says this person is saying it's faith plus. Why is that so important? Because in the end, if it's any performance of yours whatsoever, that's the only thing that matters, which means that Christ died for nothing. If Christ's death is not enough, then Christ died for nothing. If it depends on your performance, and some of you, because you are religious, are reacting in your head right now saying, he's saying we can sin. Friend, you do sin. Generally, you are sinning. It's only when you begin to realize that by making it faith plus your performance, you're limiting even what sin is so that you can stay right with yourself. And that in itself is sin. Because as soon as you make yourself a judge of righteousness, you've displaced God and you've become God. (laughs) That's the ultimate idolatry. But it's also the ultimate idiocy. You're a terrible God. But Paul is saying here, he's saying, if someone teaches this to you, let them be damned. He goes so far, this is one of my favorites, he said, if they want you to be circumcised, let them cut the whole thing off. I didn't say that, Paul did. But I did enjoy saying it back, you know. See, this is so essential what we're learning. Why am I saying this? Because I've watched my congregation over the years, and there's a mixture. 
There's a little bit of faith and a whole lot of works. And there's a whole lot of judgment. And there's a whole lot of condemnation. And there's a whole lot of criticism. And there's a whole lot of self-loathing. You understand, you are still operating by works if you're an angry person. If you're unforgiving and you're bitter, it means you haven't really come to the place of the gospel yet. If you're depressed, the gospel hadn't penetrated. If you're still living in guilt and shame and fear and pride, then the gospel hasn't penetrated. And what I am trying to get through today is to realize you can, you can understand the Bible and you can live with focus. But the focus is this. Is it going to be on the promise that God has made to you? Or is it going to be on the performance that you're trying to offer to God? It's either promise or performance. It can't be both. Paul says what he's teaching about the promise makes us to understand every part of the Bible. Now, here's, here's how he does this. And it's a powerful argument is that he says there's a purpose to the law, but it was never a purpose to make you right with God. And he, and he makes this, this point in this passage. He's basically saying if the law seems to contradict the gospel, then it's because we're not really understanding the purpose of the law. Because everything in the Bible all comes together. It all agrees. None of the Bible is written for mere knowledge. The Bible is written for application. Every word of it applies to your life. So the, the key to understanding the Bible is first and foremost to understand that it all comes together. There's an absolute coherency to it. So we start with these two colossal figures in the Bible. They're two of the most important individuals of the Old Testament. So we deal with Abraham and we deal with Moses. And in a way, what Paul is saying is, you Judaizers are saying you have to live by the law. You want law? I'll give you law. And he goes, where do you think we find the whole story of Abraham but in the Torah? We find in the Pentateuch. The whole story of Abraham is 430 years before the law is even given. And so what Paul is saying is you've got to go back to the very story of the father of our faith to understand our relationship with God. And then you can understand the relationship of the law to your life. And everything in the Bible is applicable. It's for correction. It's for encouragement. It's for rebuke. It's for exhortation. It's so that you will grow. And these stories of these two giants are really, really important to us. Now, what Paul introduces is something pretty radical and wonderful. And that is that God preached the gospel to Abraham before the gospel had been fulfilled. That God was sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ before Abraham could even comprehend all the ramifications of what this would mean. But God gave him the seed of the gospel by talking about Abraham's seed. And this is one of the most, at least for me, this is one of those places where you start to realize every word of the Bible is God-breathed. And every word matters. Because you see, the promise that was made to Abraham was not a promise to Abraham and his seeds. It was to Abraham and his seed. 
Because God's intent, God's purpose was to love you. When he's preaching to Abraham, he's talking about you. He's not just talking about the biological descendants of Abraham, or he would have said, Abraham, to you and your seeds. But he was saying, I am going to deal with evil in this world. I'm going to deal with sin in this world, and I'm going to do it without wiping the people out of this world. And I'm going to do it with more than just one culture, more than just one group of people and one ethnicity, I'm going to reach every ethnicity, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. But Abraham, it's going to come through your seed singular. And that seed is Jesus Christ. And Abraham heard the good news of Jesus Christ when God made the promise of the blessings that he would experience in his life. Abraham could not have had a concept that you and I sitting right here We are the ones who receive the blessing of the seed of Abraham. And Paul goes so far to say, if you believe in Jesus, you are a descendant of Abraham. Because it's not by biology. It's not by performance. It's by promise. Come on, that's pretty good stuff. What am I saying? I'm saying... You don't have to be afraid because God was almost 4,000 years ago saying, I see you. I bless you. I'm orchestrating everything in your life so you'll be at Risen King on Sunday morning and hear about the promise I preached to Abraham about your life. And see, the issue for many of us is we don't really believe the promise. We believe that we're going to go to heaven in the by and by. But you see, the gospel is not just the initiation. It's the A to Z of relationship with Jesus. And it is that every day you living in the promise. And here's one of the things that has gotten me through some of the most difficult times in my life is this. If God kept the most difficult promise, which was to sacrifice his own son, if Jesus kept his most difficult promise, which was to sacrifice his own life, that he who knew no sin would become sin for us, then every other promise of God is easy for God. Come on. You need finances? That's easy. You need a new job? You need a better marriage? You need stuff for your family. If Jesus would die for your sins, then Jesus will give for your provision. Yes, sir. But you have to learn to live by promise, not by performance. And you have to begin to apply the promise to every area of your life. When God made this promise to Abraham, it was never just about a homeland. It was not just about an earthly inheritance. This blessing is the blessing in the highest sense. God was saying to Abraham, every nation on earth will be blessed through your seed. Not through seeds, but through the seed. Now that doesn't mean that the world hasn't been blessed by all the amazing contributions of the Jewish people. That has, can be verified very easily, but that's not what God was promising. It wasn't that there would simply be the Jewish people blessing outsiders. 
It's that God would make people who weren't his people, his people. That God would engraft those who had no right in Israel, Gentiles, into the very family and nation of Israel. So always be a bit careful with some of the geopolitical, theological things that people want to thrust down our throats because the bigger issue isn't a homeland. The bigger issue is Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying all nations will experience God and the Holy Spirit will be given to all the nations of the earth, not just to those who are biologically or religiously affiliated. And so when he makes this promise, he's saying, here's how this blessing will come. In verse 18 of chapter 3, Paul writes, he says, For if the inheritance comes from the law, it no longer comes from the promise. But God granted it to Abraham through the promise. Now, how do I receive this blessing? Now, let me give you a simple illustration. If I promise you that I have $10,000 in an envelope for you, all you have to do is meet me after church. <laughs> You're not the first to say that this morning. If I simply promise it, all it takes for you is for you to believe it. You just have to show up, approach me, and receive it. That's how you receive by promise. But if I say to you this, I have $10,000 for you. If you fix my roof, redo my ceiling, redo my floors, clean out my garage, straighten up my yard, wash all my cars, now suddenly you're like, 10000 doesn't sound so great. That's a lot of work. And I may not give it to you because you may not perform up to my specifications. You see, when someone offers you something by promise, it depends totally on the trustworthiness of the one who promises. But when someone offers you a, a contract or an agreement by law, then it determines, is determined by the performance of the one receiving the reward. So the issue in the scriptures is this. Will you relate to God by promise? I promise you eternal life. I promise you acceptance with the Father. I promise you that uh, you shall be today with me in paradise. Or is it by performance? In other words, you've got to keep all the law completely, totally, and without fault. Or you are cursed. So it's either relate to God by promise or by performance. And the question is that many people who sit in churches are still trying to perform. It's either one or the other. Hear, hear me on this. The law was never intended as something to give you a standard of a performance that you could keep. How do I know that? Because he instituted sacrifices even for those who were trying to be obedient to the law. So God himself said, you won't be able to do this 
So you'll have to sacrifice a lamb. You'll have to sacrifice a turtle dove. You'll have to sacrifice grain. You'll have to sacrifice this and that. Because God said, I am giving you rules you will not be able to live by. Sometimes the saddest thing to me are people in religious formal garments because they're trying to satisfy a law under which they can only be cursed because they can't keep it all. And, and the people who are trying their best are far more religious and righteous than any of you in this room. And yet they are cursed. So it's either totally promise or it's totally performance. But the problem with total performance is you'll never get there. And the law was never intended to do anything other than show you that it had to be by promise alone. So Paul presents Abraham, the father of the Jews, and he says he's a man of faith and not a man of the law. And Paul gives him this illustration based on wills and covenants. In everyday life, contracts and wills are binding. Paul's point is that if we cannot set aside a human will or a contract, how can you set aside a spiritual contract made with God? Abraham with God, God with Abraham. In verse 15 of chapter 3, the NIV translates the word there as contract, but it can also in Greek mean that God made a legal will with Abraham. Once a will is signed, it cannot be changed or set aside. It is legally binding. So Paul is saying that God made a promise to Abraham that cannot be overturned by the law of Moses, which actually came 430 years after Abraham. No one can overturn the promise. It's an everlasting promise that Abraham gave to his seed or to his offspring. This is true in human court. It's even more true in God's court. So Paul writes in verse 18, For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. To understand this passage, we must understand what Paul means by this promise and by law. And Tim Keller explains it well. The principle is that the very concepts of promise and law are mutually exclusive. If I give you something because of what I have promised, it is not because of your performance. If I give you something because of what you have done, then it's not because of my promise. Paul is adamant here. Either something comes by grace or works, either it comes because of the giver's promise or the receiver's performance. It is either one or the other. A gift promise needs only to be believed to be received, but a law wage must be obeyed to be received. This is straight Bible gospel teaching. How is it that we miss this so much? How do I know that? Well, we condemn each other. We, we don't just correct one another. We exclude one another. We compare ourselves to each other and we either disdain one another or we compete with one another. How is it that the history of the American church, which should have had the gospel, said that because of the color of your skin, you're excluded? 
or because of the accent of your voice or because of the language group you come from or whatever, that you're not good enough. Do you understand? None of us are good enough. The only basis that any of us have the acceptance that we need with God, the only basis we have the identity that we have in Christ, it has nothing to do with anything about us. It has everything to do with the faithfulness of the one who promised. I'm not accepted in Christ because I'm white. I'm not accepted in Christ because I'm male. I'm not accepted in Christ because I was born in the United States. I'm accepted in Christ because of the promise of God the Father to Abraham, which was fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And any and every person who is accepted by God is accepted on exactly the same basis as I am. And for us to look and say, I'm a little better Christian than you, is to say, I don't even understand what a Christian is. In a way to say, I'm a better brand of sinner than you are. But the wages of sin is death. I remember when my daughter was little, we were teaching her theology. And... uh, and we use question and answer. And, she, and the, the question was, why do you need a Savior? And, and the answer was, because I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And my daughter looked at me and goes, but Daddy, I'm just a little sinner. <laughs> and at that time, she had a southern accent, so it sounded even strong. I'm just a little sinner, Daddy. <laughs> and I'm like, you know... That's the way we look at it. But it doesn't say little sinners avoid death. It says the wages of sin is death. But you see, what I've been trying to convince you of is that you can have a life of blessing now. Because it's not just at your death you receive death. It means that every day you're living in disobedience. Every day you're living apart from the promise. Every day you're living not by faith. You are subjecting yourself again to the curses of performance. You're subjecting yourself to the insecurity of, did I live up to the standards? Am I enough? Is God pleased with me? Does God love me? Is God good? And if those questions are still rumbling around in your head, you've not given yourself to the, po- to the promise you're still trying to earn by your performance. Yes, and if you in some way say, I'm bitter with you, I'm unforgiving towards you, I'm angry with you. I hate you or whatever it might be that we let ourselves feel towards other people. We're showing that the gospel hasn't penetrated our hearts. Because on the one hand, you cannot say to God, treat me with mercy, but get him. Treat me with grace, but I'll show no grace to this person. Now, I have to admit to Lisa, this is sometimes annoying. Because I mess up a lot as a husband. And I look at her and say, and I look at her and say, you're going to have to forgive me eventually. For your own sake. And that never helps my cause at all. 
Please understand what I'm saying. I know that's a silly illustration, but I'm trying to get to the point where you're realizing if Jesus said, love your brother, and he said, love your neighbor, and he said, love your enemy, who's left? It's pretty much everybody who breathes, right? Are you tracking with me? You see, what, what's happening is you're trying to earn when you need to receive. And when you need to receive, you have to give up control. See, the reason most of us don't want to give up earning is earning means I'm still in control. But when you receive, you're no longer in control. Now, a lot of us are not very honest about this. But most of us, we've heard the words, right? To give is better than to receive. You've heard that before? Most of us believe to give is better than receive because I'm in control of what I give and I'm not of what I receive. And so many of us use the idea of receiving as something we keep pretty far away from because the biggest thing that most of us fear is loss of control. So why would I give God that much control? And it has to be, friends, about the faithfulness of the one who promises. So four times in these verses, in just four verses, Paul uses the word promise. He's referring, this, referring to the promise to Abraham and that through Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed. You see, God was promising in Genesis 12 that you would be blessed. God was thinking about you in Genesis 12, almost, what, 4,000 years ago? 3,600 3, years ago, something like that. The promise to Abraham is still active now through his seed, who is Christ. And that covenant is based on promise and grace in contrast to the law. Paul purposely uses the word promise repeatedly and wants us to reflect on the difference between promise and law. Your spiritual inheritance is based on a promise and it's received by grace through faith. Now, there's two things I want to do to wrap this up. First is, I want to tell you something that, that kind of broke my heart that I read in the news. So a mega church pastor, one of the biggest churches in the world, stepped down because of moral failure. Now, as it was written about the moral failure, it was pretty pretty sketchy and iffy. It didn't really come out what had actually happened or why it had actually happened. And so it was, it was sort of blurred a little bit so there wasn't, didn't look totally honest, didn't look totally transparent. But you see, the moral failure was not a shock. I think you give people enough power and enough resources and enough control and all of us are broken people. I think power just magnifies our brokenness. So that wasn't so shocking to me. What, what shocked me was what the church said. Yes, he did this. We're letting him step down. But look at all he's done. Started churches. Started this music. Started this. Started that. Did all this. Did all that. That's what broke my heart. Because on the one hand, they're saying he has to step down for performance. But on the other hand, they're saying he's justified by his performance. There was nothing in there that said, hey, this is why we need the gospel. 
Because even our leader screwed up. Come on, you got to hear me on this. Instead of saying, this is why it is good news of Jesus Christ, it's because all sin and fall short of the glory of God. This is why Jesus fulfilled the law, is because even our leader couldn't fulfill the performance law. But they said, but he's justified because he did this, 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 and this. That broke my heart. Because it's not, friends, it's not a shock that we mess up. But it's a shock that we try to justify our mess-ups by all the things we've done good. I know that's bad English, but it was just, <laughs> just sounded right to me. Please understand this. If I come to you and find out you've been lying and I say, you lied. I'm not coming to condemn you. I'm coming to correct you. Because here's the deal. If you believe in the promise, then your behavior doesn't change the promise. If you believe in the promise and you go back to your old addiction, your behavior doesn't make the promise void. It says come back to the promise. If, you, if you're caught in a sin and you're caught in something where you're saying, this is shameful to me, you don't run from the promise, you run to the promise. Because again, it isn't what you've fulfilled. It's what Christ has fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit has not been given to you so that you will perform. The Holy Spirit has been given to you so you'll believe the promise. So that every time he shows you the embarrassing places, instead of running away, you'll run to him and say, heal me, Lord. Every time you find that you're still attracted to those substances that you abuse, that will destroy you. Instead, you'll say, yeah, but I have a promise that's bigger than the abuse. But you see, what do we do? We say, oh, give me willpower. Oh, make it to where I don't want it anymore. Guess what? He doesn't rehabilitate the flesh. He says, crucify the flesh. And most of us, what we're asking for is, Lord, let me have the appearance of righteousness. Just don't make it hurt. Why would I give myself so fully to the searching truth of the spirit of truth if I didn't believe the promise. You see, anybody who's just trying to perform, what they'll do is limit their performance. They'll say, hey, you know, I can perform. I'll wear the right clothes. I'll listen to the right music. I'll do certain things with my education. I'll do this. And it'll all be exterior appearance It'll be trying to change from the outside in where the Holy Spirit's always trying to change you from the inside out. But you see, if you believe the promise, then you can get honest. And you can say, Lord, I have trouble with lust. Heal that broken place. Lord, I have difficulty that when I'm caught in a situation, and I don't want people to see I'm incompetent, I lie. Lord, heal that broken place. Lord, I want to control people, and I want to control things so that everything goes my way. Lord, heal that broken place. 
But if you keep trying to perform, what you're going to do is limit the standards of your performance to what you can actually perform. And it will never be righteousness. Because when we limit the standards to what we can perform, God says even your righteousness is as filthy rags. So why would I give everything to the promise? Well, it's really simple. I love this part. Will you stay with me for this? So this is what Paul is talking about. Abraham was just like you. He's not extraordinary. He has an extraordinary name, but he was not an extraordinary fellow. Normally, when things didn't go his way, he lied. When he was afraid, he lied. He was disobedient. He was all those things, just like you. But God came to him and said, here's my promise. Through your seed, the nations are going to be blessed. And Abraham answered, and this is why I believe the Bible so fully, is he answered just like I would. Okay, I'm 90 years old. How's that going to happen? And Sarah looks good for 80, but she's 80. I mean, this is an impossibility. Anna was reading you about what had to happen with, with Abraham in our in-between time there, past of the moment time. But Abraham's first reaction wasn't, God, I believe. His first action was, how will I know? So God did something really interesting. He said, go get, and he told him the animals to get, and it was, it was a, a, a sacrificial uh, procedure that Abraham knew well because immediately Abraham knew exactly what to do with the animals. And he cut them in half. Because you see, when you were going to cut a covenant, when you were going to cut a will, you did to the animals what you would do to the person who lied to you. I've decided that's how I'm going to do weddings from now on. So instead of flowers, there's going to be a row of cut animals for us to barbecue later. But we're going to say, if you break these vows, this is what's going to happen to you. It will cut down on a whole lot of marriages. They won't let me do that in Rockland County, obviously. But that's the way a covenant was done. It wasn't a handshake. It wasn't a signature. If you were going to promise something, something was going to die. Because if you broke your promise, that's what would happen to you. And so the story goes that God brought a great darkness, super great darkness, blotted out the stars, the sky, the sun, everything, nothing but darkness. And then he put Abraham into a sleep. It was kind of the first getting slain in the spirit ever. And yet he was asleep, but he was fully aware of what was happening. And the scripture says that God showed up. It's a theophany. It was called a theophany when God shows up. And there it is. It's, a, it, it, the, the, it's hard to describe, but it's some kind of a pot, a smoldering pot that had, that had fire and had smoke coming from it. And the Lord was speaking and saying, I'm making this covenant with you. And as he, as he does so, God himself passed through the pieces. Now, my professor from seminary, he has a great statement on this. 
Dr. R.C. Sproul said it this way. As God passes through the pieces, Abraham, I'm putting my very deity on the line here. I'm swearing to you by my holy nature. If I don't keep this word, I will no longer be God. God made a covenant with Abraham. He made a promise and he backs up that promise, which is not just to Abraham, but to all of God's people. He makes a promise that he seals with an oath based upon his very own nature. There is no conceivably higher guarantee than that. So God himself is moving between the pieces of the animal. God alone passes these slaughtered animals while Abraham sleeps. Again, emphasizing this isn't a two-sided covenant. It's a one-sided covenant. It also shows the ultimate commitment that God has involved himself in this covenant. He's saying, I'm putting my very life on the line as the guarantee. God's proving his liability to Abraham and to us by his promise and his commitment here. I love this. God was saying, if I fail to keep my promise, may I be ripped apart. But you see, it isn't just that God was promising to keep his side of it. He would not let, because he kept Abraham immobilized. He would not let Abraham pass through the pieces. So what God was saying, even if you fail, I will be ripped apart. Even if you don't keep your promise, I'll be ripped apart. And so this this immortal God says, I'll become mortal. The omnipotent God says, I'll become vulnerable. (laughs) The eternal God says, I will become killable. Why? Because he promised. Because he promised. See, why can you lean into the promise and surrender control? Because it doesn't depend on you. It's all on him. Even if you're not listening, he's listening to you. Even if you're not faithful, he will be faithful to you. Just as darkness descended over Abraham, the same darkness descended on Good Friday when Jesus was on the cross. And there it was that Jesus paid the one-sided covenant price for us. He made the covenant. He fulfilled the covenant. He took all of the curses of the covenant upon himself. And he's saying to you, will you receive my promise? He was ripped to pieces because of his promise. Isaiah 53.8 says it this way. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. I don't like to lose control. I don't like to give up control. I don't, I have to admit to you, I don't do drugs because I don't want to lose control. They gave me one that gave me more control, I'd probably take it every day. And it was only when I realized the power of the promise that I could say, Lord, I surrender control. No more performance, only promise. Will you receive this today, Lisa? Mike is just beautifully 
Let me say that again. Beautifully explain to us what Christ has done so that we can live in the promise, so that we can have an inheritance. So here's the question I want to ask you. Do you want to live on a budget that's in the red, in the deficit? Or this week, do you want to begin to experience what it means to live in your inheritance? Do you want to live in the riches that Christ has for you? Okay, then say this with me. I say no to trusting in my performance. But I say yes to trusting in the promise. Go out this week and learn what it means to receive your inheritance, to trust, to receive the gift. I can't wait to hear the stories that you'll tell as you come back because you've learned to receive instead of earn. So Lord, I bless these people to be good at receiving, to be good at receiving the promise that they have, that you have so graciously given. And Lord, make them quick to be aware when they're tempted to earn. Lord, bless them as they go in and bless them as they go out. I say in Jesus' name, amen.